Mr. Binks, you know how I love gorgeous books about dogs that serve to entertain and educate at the same time. Plus, touching on being works of art with splendid illustrations. Well, that's why we're jumping on Zoom now to speak to illustrator Christina Litton about her new book called Around the World in 80 Dogs. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Oh, Christina Litton, thank you so much for joining us on A Dog's Life. Oh, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> no, I'm really thrilled because you're an illustrator and right in front of me at the moment, I am privileged <laughs> to have one of the first copies that have come out of your amazing new book that's called Around the World in 80 Dogs. <laughs> I mean, it, for me, it was a bit of a dream project, to be honest. Um, um, I've always loved dogs. Um, I don't actually have a dog. So that is actually why I volunteer at my local rescue. Um, so, but while they kind of locked down during the first lockdown, they had to make sure that the, um, they wouldn't let any illness. And it was kind of like an unknown time of what was going to ha happen. So I think this was kind of like to get that dog fix back again. I started doing like tons and tons of research about, about dogs. And um, that's how we've kind of like ended up here, really. Well, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, you know, now tell me, is this... Is the book aimed at children? I mean, you've, uh, here am I, one of the <laughs> oldest people in the room, and I absolutely love it. But someone once said to me, Anna, never lose your childlike enthusiasm for life, actually. And it's something, it's a mantra I kind of try and maintain. So, I mean, for me, I mean, so is this aimed at children? So the kind of format of this um, non-fiction for kids is quite popular at the moment. Um, I mean, I collect them, so they're not specifically just for children. And I hope that um, this this book particularly will, um, for dog lovers, they'll still find something that they maybe not read before somewhere. I mean, I certainly found out quite a lot of things that I hadn't I hadn't known. I mean, beyond um, breeds, which I kind of think I was quite up on. Um, there was lots of other things that I kind of find out found out by doing the research on this book. So I kind of hope that it's it's for adults as well. I mean, um, as you say, like it's the sort of thing that you would read. It's the sort of thing that I would really like to read and and have liked to read as a child as well. Mm, no, absolutely. Well, I think see the thing is for me, I think you know dogs and learning about dog behaviour and learning about the cultural and historical yeah. connection that we have with dogs. You know, because we're epigenetically, I think, more dog than we actually think <laughs> we are, is so important at the moment because of what's happening at the moment at government level with the XL bully, you know, yeah. because that's going to impact all dogs. And for people who are afraid of dogs or, mm. uh, you know, allergic to dogs or culturally not tuned into dogs, this is now a reason for those, that whole sector to become more knowing about dogs, um, yeah. standing away from dogs. So I think books like this are, are so important, particularly at the moment. And I think we kind of need to understand these breeds, don't we? I mean, um, as much as this includes the 80 breeds, I tried to include 
breeds that really illustrated how amazing dogs were. Um, I mean, for example, the Marmory, Marmory, oh, um, uh, Marmora, yeah, Marmora, yeah. They, I mean, when kids find out about that breed, hopefully they'll understand um, just how amazing, amazing they are, really. Um, and including them sort of personal stories. I think I included one about the um, Great Pyrenees as well. Um, these, how they've actually like saved people's lives. I think that um, children would really enjoy that. Um, oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, the wonderful stories of the St. Bernard, and they are still breeding St. Bernards in the St. Bernard Pass, you know, the monks. And, yeah, the Barry um, dogs. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And Peter Pan, you know, um, Nana was actually a Newfoundland. And of course, you know, they're another breed similar to the St. Bernard. I mean, for me, it's just a shame there were only 80 dogs. <laughs> when... I know, it was so <laughs> difficult to choose the 80 dogs, but I think, um, I mean, I researched so many more than the 80, just so that I knew that I was getting a diverse selection, really. Um, yeah, but it was incredibly difficult, <laughs> incredibly difficult to pick 80. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, what I love, though, with with the 80, you know, in the 80 you've chosen, you covered the, a spectrum from, you know, breeds that are facing extinction, the, the yeah. vulnerable British breeds, a lovely illustration of the otter hound, you know, mm. which is the, the rarest. And then second to that is yeah. my own little Mr. Binks, oh. who's, who's not my boyfriend. Um, he, is, <laughs> he is my English toy terrier. So I think they're, they're about two more born every year than the otter hound, which, yeah, you know, for, yeah. Yeah, for me, that, that's something that really pains me because, you know, we're now at a stage where people actually believe that a cockapoo is a breed. Yeah which for me, it's probably a combination of my age and my absolute passion for the breeds. You know, I was going to Crufts when I was eight and just loving the diversity and, you know, the passion and the purpose, really, of yeah. all of these dogs. I because... think they kind of lose um, the understanding of what a cockapoo is made from as well because they're two very energetic, smart breeds and um, you actually end up with quite a lot of them in rescues because of that. Um, mm, tell me about it yeah I mean honestly I think I'm not the only dog behavior person that will say that the cockapoos are actually kind of a bit mad you know <laughs> um, because of the genetic combination it produces a very highly strung dog and unfortunately they're taken on by people who've never had a dog before mm -hmm. um, because they look like teddy bears yeah it does and, always seem um, to be the first dog doesn't it uh, yeah it's dog. um it's it's crazy, but all of that, you know, the whole demographic of dog ownership and all the rest of it has changed so negatively, I think, in recent years. Yeah, it's a shame, but I'm glad I do remember dog ownership, you know, before this massive surge. And this feeling, I think, as well, Christina, that people actually think it is a right to have a dog as exactly. a must-have yeah. must accessory, like you might buy the latest pair of trainers. You know, we're, we're even buying dogs like trainers on the internet. You know, I mean, this shift is so cataclysmic. And now with the XL bully, you know, in 30 yeah. years and a 
dog has not been added. You know, dangerous dogs, this legislation. I mean, how can dogs be dangerous? I thought in 99, <laughs> you know, because I've grown up with dogs all my life. Yeah. So it's very sad. So this book, you see, celebrates dogs. And mm-hmm. um, and I think it's very important to point out all the greatness, which you do do. You know, I mean, yeah. for, for example, I love this illustration. I mean, the illustrations make it, I think. I mean, it well, it really does, you know, explain visually what you're talking about so in competitive mm. canines for example and this image I just love it of the the dancer kind of doing a bit of a I don't know a bit of a well a ballet back yeah. and everything and all this confetti flying around well I think I just wanted to celebrate the bond that you have when you actually do things with your dog I think for me a dog is not just to have a dog um I think a child needs to understand that it's really that bond and the connection that you have with the dog and maybe that's through sport isn't it um and well yeah it's a hobby it's it's an activity it's time to spend time with your dog I mean I I've competed in canine freestyle you see so (laughs) I absolutely love doggy dancing for me that is the most difficult sport to do with your dog because of the focus and the Mm -hmm. timing and you know the desensitization to distractions to get a dance routine in inverted commas Mm -hmm. absolutely spot on I mean that takes a huge amount of work I can't tell you because you're tuning into your dog's natural ability Mm -hmm. to use their nose to use their paw to use their eyes to use their body postures but it's such accurate communication whereas you know taking your dog out which I've also done with my bull terrier prudence to find truffles that actually is so much easier because oh really I thought it would be far more difficult no not at all because well you need a dog that's got the aptitude to do it but Mm -hmm. training scent detection works so easy to do because it's so natural for the dog to do it it's like you know some dogs will get it quicker than others sure I mean Prue got it seriously quicker than I thought I couldn't believe it and a police dog handler was helping us do it and he actually said wow you know he's that breed as well it's quite unusual isn't it well exactly that's the whole point and you know with distractions like a badger set nearby deer because we obviously trained in woods and we don't go to woods that often because we live in Hackney so um the whole thing you know she ignored scent of deer badgers really near to a badger set we were at one point (laughs) because and um just no interest it was like I've got to find where this truffle has been put and that's you get that just from having that bond as well though don't you yeah exactly 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 and she can find a tennis ball on the hackney marshes she she upcycles (laughs) I don't think I've ever bought tennis balls because she just finds those other people have accidentally lost you see so it's great no so it's really brilliant I love it and you of course and segueing into scent work you've got a whole uh, section on on that and the superpower well it sort of leads into so many other things because if they didn't have that sort of super senses then we wouldn't have um our medical dogs and um allergy detection dogs so I mean it just it's just that thought of um brief introduction of how to understand how they can do all these amazing things yeah exactly so for someone who you know might not like dogs and mm. then they get this super book for Christmas because it's such a joy to leaf through I and mean, there's a lovely moment I was leafing through so I've not long had this everyone so <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm still absorbing all the detail because that's the other thing it's packed you know with yeah. little because you're sort of larger paragraphs like I'm looking at the Irish wolfhound here that you've got this lovely uh, this section called huge 
pounds. So you've got the Mastiff there and then you've got little tiny thought processes. So the Irish Wolfhound, I've got, I haven't got my glasses on, here we go. The record <laughs> for the largest dog goes to the Irish Wolfhound, you know, and that's really lovely. People think, gosh, you know, and then compare that with the Neapolitan Mastiff, which mm-hmm. is a lovely illustration. And I like the little... Very cat. difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got the little cat next to him as well, because, you know, so there's little Millie next to you for scales. So, um, she was the smallest dog ever. I think she's the smallest dog ever to exist. She was oh, basically she... the size of it, like a teacup, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought she was a cat, actually. I'm so, so sorry. So there is a cat. I think there is a cat and um, a little Millie as well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm by the... Um... And Neapolitan Mastiff for yeah. crumbs. Um, <laughs> but that's sweet that you popped a cat in, you know, just for illustrative purposes, also yeah. to kind of show that dogs and cats, you know, they don't have to be a thousand miles apart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they actually can get on quite well. Tiny dogs and terriers, which we love. And then you've got a whole area that's gorgeous and kind of stands out called Royal Dogs, which obviously features the late Queen and her corgis, history now, you know. And I love your sleeve Pekingese's. Yeah, that was just something that I actually found out um, that I hadn't, I didn't know about before, that they actually kept their Pekingese like in the sleeves. Mm, Um, mm. Well, they had different peaks. There were a sleeve peak and a a normal Pekingese and the sleeve peaks were really prized. Absolutely, you know, because of course they didn't, get over here um well actually interestingly I don't know if you've been to see Portrait of Dogs this I amazing have, yeah it's really, really lovely yeah did you go at the Wallace collection yeah yeah I actually really um my favorite part was um uh, Victoria and Albert's little etchings of their dogs yeah I yeah just really sweet yeah they, they were I could see that would appeal, you know, being an illustrator, you know, yeah. yourself. But it was a lovely, but it was the Pekingese in there that absolutely blew my mind, yeah. you know, because it is a dead ringer for a Tibetan Spaniel. And there is this mm-hmm. whole discussion that actually the Tibetan Spaniel and the Pekingese were the same breed. So obviously China and Tibet so close. Tibet yeah. closed off to the world forever, really, until only about 100 years ago. And the other thing is, it's, how, it's nice to reference dogs, I think, in art. And I would mm-hmm. class your book as a work of art actually um no really really everyone it is it's it's great yeah the corgis the corgis were really nice to illustrate I actually remember working on this specific page um as I was watching uh, the queen's funeral so it it was quite odd really um but there's a really nice fact about the corgis which um was new to me about their heart like they um their colouring looks like a saddle um, and that's because the Welsh thought or at least would tell their um, children that uh, fairies would ride them at night and I thought that was really sweet so I thought I really really want to, to keep that keep that in. Yeah no I love that actually and a fact I didn't know because you've got you've got Howl of Fame oh yes this was the one here we go so <laughs> it's a spin obviously everyone on Hall of Fame so you've got Rin Tin Tin in there obviously you've got mm-hmm. a nod to Lassie in there where we, and amazing incredible Cray too. Friend yeah. of the show, friend, 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 and Nipper, of course, the HMV dog. But one I'd not heard of, or it might be stuck in the back of my mind and mm-hmm. with aging dementia setting in, um, <laughs> maybe, is Masterpiece, that yeah. poodle. You should definitely look that up. Um, it was it was quite the crime, um, like in the 1950s. Um, it was So this dog was 
basically considered the first ever dog model. Um, so it was it was kind of like the Kate Moss of dogs at the time. And um, I think it would um, be in department stores and things like that. Um, and they would use it to sell their products. And just basically one day it was either stolen or just went missing. And it just became like a really famous kind of canine mystery, basically. But it is quite interesting to look it up. Um, and she yeah, lived in this frame. So in the illustration, the dog is like within this frame that says masterpiece on it. Yeah, it's lovely. And, and obviously, you know, Snoopy's in there, which is a marvellous, marvellous icon. But yeah, and then fascinating features. So you've got the Basset Hound, you know, with their mm-hmm. long, long ears and highlighting why they've got these long, long ears and the purpose that they've been bred to have these long ears to channel, mm-hmm. you know, the scent into their nose as they're sniffing, you know. It's, yeah, it's... I mean, what's interesting is the split the split nerves of the uh, the Turkish dog, um, the Shetelburun. Um, and because no one really knows why, other than um, it's over generations, it's just been there, but it doesn't seem to actually have a purpose. Mm, it's interesting. And what about that dog in Louisiana that can climb a tree? Is it called mm. the leopard dog? Yeah, yeah, it's a, the um, the Catalua leopard dog. Yeah, so it's just I think it's just got that boundless energy that it manages to um, climb up these trees, probably chasing a squirrel or two. No, it's brilliant. I mean, how hilarious. Um, but why not? You know what I mean? Why not? You've got dogs Malinois, for example, that you feature as well in the book you know as being great yeah. working dogs they can scale I love you know, Malinois yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean they're not they're not a dog you know really for any you know what I mean I mean they can yeah. be owned as pets and the Travernans the longer coated ones tend to be more of the pet types but of mm-hmm. course they come in the smooth coats and they come in a wirehead coat as well mm-hmm. actually but the breed that I really researched once because I thought oh my gosh I so want one of these is the Lundehund yeah but they're so rare now that I think yeah I was actually quite lucky to have met one once when I was um in Stockholm and mm. um this guy was it, it was obviously quite used to people coming up to him and being like oh you know what's your dog and he he would sort of tell you about it and um you know say that it has six paws because obviously it has to grip on it was I mean they were bred to um hunt puffins on the cliff um but I mean, why they have like full neck uh, movability, I'm not quite sure, but it must be so they can see in all directions while they're climbing, climbing the cliff. But they're really lovely, like really lovely looking dogs as well. Yeah, no, you're so lucky to have met one. I don't even know. I, gosh, at Crufsex, you know, I must see, but they're not registered by the UK Kennel Club, you see. Yeah. So, I mean, this is why it's nice because you take us out of the 220 breeds that are registered <laughs> into some new, you know, thought-provoking areas. Although I can't bear the thought of these dogs finding puffins and they're so rare anyway at the moment. Well, I mean, that's um, why they're rare, isn't it, really? Because um, I think no they're also rare. They're, no one wants to find puffins, but they are very, very, very rare. I think there are, there are some genetic issues with them, yeah. unfortunately. So health-wise, I did research it. They do have some um, congenital issues that right. 
Yeah, yeah, which is a shame, but they've, you know, um, I'm having six pads, obviously, as well, but Mm -hmm. it's so interesting. It's just so interesting how different regions of the world have selected for certain features in their dogs to enable them to live, you know, because, of course, Mm -hmm. back in the day before there were supermarkets, when you're in Norway, to have puffin eggs maybe for breakfast would be, you know, a sustainable way of living, you know, Mm -hmm. alongside nature before, you know, man's come along and totally annihilated the world. But anyway... It's another topic, not about dogs. <laughs> so, yeah, no, absolutely. I love it. And I love the rare breed section as well. So the Valhund as well. I was actually quite lucky to, I think recently, there's a Valhund that's just popped up in my local town. And yeah. um, so that's quite cool because you you never see a Valhund. Well, they're not as rare as the Lundihund. <laughs> no, I think they're gaining popularity now. Yeah, um, some people say they are the ancestors of the corgi that we know because they came over you know with the vikings way back then a short-legged dog it definitely Mm -hmm. did to you know herd their cattle and and work and and that's what they're bred for which is why they're so low to the ground I'm sure you Mm -hmm. know so that if a cow kicks back it's going to go over their head (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and the Lancashire healer you know another breed very rare same purposes to nip the heels but yeah no it's so beautiful it really is you've done other books though haven't you um, yes, yeah, so I mainly work um, on picture books. Um, so I've, I've written and illustrated about five or six, and um, but I illustrate for other people's writing as well. But this is my first non-fiction, so um, it was quite a leap, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's, it's one thing writing non-fiction and having fact, fact, facts. Um, another thing to make that interesting and engaging for children as well. Um, so I hope that I've done that. Um, I no. certainly enjoyed working on it. and um... Yeah, no, I think you totally have. I mean, it's showing every aspect of dogs, even, you know, how we domesticated dogs. So it takes people right back. I mean, it was one of our episodes actually is all about Dogor, the mm-hmm. um, prehistoric puppy that thanks to climate change and yeah. all of the ice melting, they found the this perfect head of a of a dog stroke wolf mm-hmm. and then so much research went into it but they finally did yeah they it. finally found out that it wasn't there was it I think it was more related to a wolf it I, was, it right, was yeah. A, yeah yeah but the interesting thing was it was found very close to human remains yeah so you actually wonder was this the wolf that yeah. decided to befriend mankind you see so it was so it's very interesting but yes no I mean how doing this book kind of really awakened you more to the massive capacity of dogs as man's best friend um I mean I, th- I think so I, I hadn't actually realized that there was almost a billion dogs as well um in the world but only one percent of pet dogs I think yeah it's true I think 75 percent of all of the world's dogs are strays Mm -hmm. um so you know that's something that's quite a sobering thought really you know Mm -hmm. and it's good these days there are so many charities like the world at heart foundation 
Jai Rescue. Yeah. Gosh, Neil recently did a podcast with him. Yeah. And he's gone out to Thailand and he's making massive efforts to, you know, new spay and neuter to curb the population and, mm-hmm. and it, which needs needs to be done because the dogs do only go on to suffer. So it's not good to we need to curb the population really. But at home here in the mm-hmm. UK, there is so much abandonment going on there there is still so much cruelty and neglect that has never gone away you know I learned Mm -hmm. about that because my dad worked for the RSPCA so I learned a lot of shocking stories when I was very young and it really I couldn't believe it so this book is just a celebration really of the dog that's been beside us for all these years and hopefully will continue to be beside and I think it it's it's a very respectful view of it and as I say this this middle bit there's this middle bit in the book where I was looking along and I thought oh no two pages are stuck together (laughs) but then explain what it is because I think for kids this is like great so the the book itself is actually part of a series that um that my publisher has um and it's called obviously it's called around the world in 80 so there's um different book called around the world in 80 instruments around the world in 80 festivals so it's really um in the center of the book there is a very large world map showing where each of the breeds come from so i that's why i had to get a really good selection of the 80 as well um to try and include uh breeds from a, a, a wide area um Otherwise, you end up with quite a lot of dogs that are just from Germany and Brussels and um, at the UK because most of the breeds are, aren't they, really? Yeah, I mean, well, the Victorian era was kind of the time where loads of breeds were kind of selected mm-hmm. to work for different purposes. There's always been, you look back, I mean, there's in the Kennel Club Library, actually, they've got some books going back, they're in Latin, mm-hmm. and then they've been translated, you know, and Latin was the only language, and then they've been trans- so very old, very old, and they do define terriers, hounds, yeah and working dogs and toy breeds. So Mm -hmm. we know from that reference, which I don't know what really old, like 1400 or something, that there were these distinct types of dogs that obviously before that, before books even existed, had been developed for purposes for us to be able Mm -hmm. to survive basically because we would not as humans on our own be here today if it hadn't been for the dog was the Mm -hmm. first animal to be domesticated and we just wouldn't have done it I mean even a capitalist world I always like to say this you know it wouldn't be we wouldn't be doing this without dogs because a microphone wouldn't have been invented because capitalism wouldn't have been invented and sometimes I think you know what yeah, we're not respectful enough to dogs, really, mm-hmm. or give them the real due that they totally deserve. So hence, I love this book because it does do that. <laughs> Another area that I like in this book that you've really picked up on, so it's, it's like loads of little nuggets, okay? Mm. So you've got one, do dogs have a sixth sense, which I have yeah. to say is my favourite subject in the world. So everyone tune in to episode one please of a dog's life at this moment <laughs> to learn about um a dog's sixth sense which dr rupert sheldrake has mm-hmm. really harnessed obviously in his belief the paranormal is normal i mean i definitely listened to that episode because it made me think about how they have uh, these senses beyond you know the the main senses that we have they, they just have this like unexplainable 
sort of bond on knowing. Well, it's also perhaps the thing, as Rupert says, you know, that we have got, but unfortunately we've lost it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, you know, there's evidence of tribes in the middle of the Amazon mm-hmm. where they don't have mobile phones. You know, they'd go and kill a wild pig or something, you know, but that would be too heavy to bring back to their, yeah. their little village. But how did they communicate to the other villagers that, yes, they've succeeded in their task and they now need help? So, right. yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting. There's a lot that we we don't know, you know, and that's what I, I actually really love that side of life in a way. It's the unexplainable, you know, I think we're so desperate to explain everything. Yeah. It's like, really, you know, can't we have some magic in our lives a little <laughs> bit and just kind of accept things as being rather mm-hmm. than tearing everything apart sometimes. But yes, I- dogs and the sixth sense, I mean, that's so important to put in there. So yeah. I really can't fault this at all. And how they've sort of just learned so much from the our way of life as well. I mean, that page itself talks about um, the stray dogs in Russia using um, the public transport and actually sending specific dogs to the centre of the cities because they know that the, the sort of cuter, younger dogs would actually be given more food. And it's mm-hmm. like, how, how, how do they, you know, learn that sort of thing? But over time, I guess they just, they just do. It's, it, I mean, it's pretty incredible, really. I know. No, it's amazing. I did uh, that documentary. I did watch that. Mm. That was utterly extraordinary. But it's it's survival, uh, you know, and they they combine, you know, watching, learning, smelling, their sense of smell, which is so incredible, you see. Mm -hmm. And we can't even begin to appreciate it because we, we haven't even got a chamber in our in our brains that dogs have to store absolutely every single scent they've ever smelt and then of course it's only recently we know that dogs have episodic memory yeah. so that they can connect a scent to a memory a context which yeah. was once only thought capable by humans so that was six years ago some Danish scientists um discovered that I found that very interesting because Mm -hmm. you know I mean as Rupert says science Rupert Sheldrake says you know hardcore scientists you know are still fairly dubious as to whether dogs have emotional intelligence yeah well I actually fought to keep the um sixth sense in a little bit um because I had listened to that episode and I'm like convinced myself that you know, dogs are just incredibly sort of powerful before beyond our knowledge, really. So I did have to actually sort of say, you know, I really want to keep that in because there is new science out there, or if, if you can call it science, that, you know, almost sort of proves that or sort of shows existence of that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in China, they actually use dogs to predict when, you know, in zones where they have earthquakes quite a lot, mm-hmm. regions of China, for a long, long time, they don't anymore, but they would use have dogs as sentinels, really, specifically to alert to an impending earthquake. And oh, yeah, and you listen to the episode with Rupert. So, you know, like yeah. in that, in the tsunami of, well, I think it was 2005, mm-hmm. there were no animals found washed up ashore, uh, a lot of humans, obviously, but all of the animals fled. That says something, I think. Because yeah. <laughs> you'd notice an elephant, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, but... whether that's the slight tremors or just a, a change that we just can't sense, 
but um you know it's, it's definitely something that no yeah exactly <laughs> electromagnetic fields no it's brilliant and and luckily no you know no animals did die in those tsunamis which is very good so no thank you for doing this book no it's brilliant christina so i mean i i'd say if you're thinking about a christmas present for someone who loves <laughs> dogs even if they don't love dogs but they love books and you want to encourage some reading and learning over the festive period then this is it thank you very much Anna thank you so where, where can people buy it and um, so basically anywhere that you would normally buy your books from obviously independent bookshops will um order it in for you um high street bookshops um you know um and obviously you can get it online as well but um it's always good to support your independent bookshops so yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, it's I, I really think it's a lovely collectible piece and hardback and the illustrations are just gorgeous and obviously a huge amount of thought and skill and creative flair has gone into this. <laughs> Thank you very much, Christina. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, I know it was disappointing that you weren't mentioned in the rare breeds, but in fairness, otterhounds are the rarest breed of dog, I think, in the world. And you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. <coughs> a coffee table book is always a sure bet as a top-class Christmas present. So, consider Around the World in 80 Dogs as your best stocking filler this year. <coughs> Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, please rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. It really makes a difference. Thanks again to Christina Litton for joining us today. And you'll find all the links to everything she does in our show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer, who does all the music and production every week. Check him out at Pod People UK and check me out. <laughs> I'm just at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Gosh, yes, you are totally right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now? And that way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now.